Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Matt Davies, who is the Divisional Lead for Sales and Marketing at ARV Solutions Staffing Consultancy. Matt has worked in the recruitment industry since 2014, initially joining Nia People in Birmingham as a trainee, where he progressed from trainee all the way to section manager within six years, where he was leading multiple teams within the business. And then 10 months ago, Matt decided to move closer to home, which is Bristol, where he has now joined ARV as a divisional manager to grow and take their sales and marketing function of the business to the next level. Matt, thanks for joining me on the pod. That was a good intro. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get straight into this. So yeah. where we always like to start is the million pound question. So in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Good question. In terms of my own, this is my opinion on this. I believe a lot of it having coached people is down to, first of all, high intrinsic motivation. I think that is something that really is part of someone's DNA. It's hard to learn that as a skill. You can be extrinsically motivated by a manager or being put on a PDP or whatever that might be. But I feel to make a manager's life easier and actually be self-sufficient as a recruitment consultant, a lot of it needs to come from within, within yourself, within the fire in your belly. I think you need to be very highly confident and have no fear. Just go straight in, especially for a trainee. In your first year or so, I believe that you need to learn a lot fail a lot and learn really, really quickly and stop making those same mistakes. So you just got to have no fear of being thrown into it, not wor- really worrying too much because you can be dealing with some quite highly, highly status clients and candidates, but at the same time, just be easy on yourself to, to understand that it's going to be a big learning curve, as I found in my first years, probably everyone did. High emotional intelligence. I believe that that's something, again, naturally, I think as you get older, that always should slightly get better from experiences yeah. through life. But at the same time, a lot of that is, again, in, within someone, I believe. So it's trying to spot that, ask the right questions, how they approach different situations, using psychometric tests, that sort of thing, to really dive down deeper and, and understand how someone will work in different situations. Someone that for themselves, again, that constantly probably looks at themselves and wants to improve and learn, that could be... Not even in recruitment, it might just be in life, it might be in a hobby, in sport, but there has to be, I believe, some sort of elements of coachability because in any job, in any sector, everything is always changing. It's always getting different, especially with the likes of COVID or situations, Brexit, whatever that might be. It's being able to react to your environment well and want to learn for yourself and want to, I suppose, try and be successful within whatever arena that might be, temp perm sectors it's all a little bit different isn't it horses for courses Mm. and then finally you can have all that but if the commercial acumen uh is probably Mm. the best term commerciality thrifty if you want to if you want some deals (laughs) i just think that comes you might think i'm wrong but i just think you naturally want to get a deal or you naturally enjoy negotiations naturally want to be able to have your services and believe in a price and spot i suppose passes as we call them in recruitment where a bit of intel or a bit of information might be able to lead to further fees or or revenue down the line for yourself but that's difficult to teach that i think that's more from the dna so a lot of this has come back to dna and testing it out but those are the bits that i like to test out personally i think really interesting that you reference a lot of things that that can't be taught but maybe can be cultivated or learned So you've mentioned the first thing there before we sort of start talking about your early years in recruitment, yep. being intrinsically motivated. Nice little word, that, isn't it? Yeah. What do you mean by that? So you get intrinsic motivation, which is myself, Matt Davis, Hisham. Mm. You've got your own intrinsic motivation, like doing mm. this podcast, whatever that might be. We all have a goals in our own life. And personally, my own goals are what drive me to want to do recruitment and be successful in my life i've got my own plans by by 40 it'll be now 30 so those are what drive me intrinsically every day to try and do the best job i can in the limited amount of hours with the clients and candidates i've got extrinsic motivation so that is from external sources so 
like if you went to the gym, personally, I can go on my own. I want to be in good health. If you're in recruitment, you might want to put good fees on the board, just as a bit of a comparable there. Whereas it's intrinsic. It's like if you need someone like a PT, it's fine. And if you work this way, it's fine. Extrinsically motivated. You might need someone there potentially beating you with a stick if you're that type of person. You might need them there just for the emotional support so you get there or you've got accountability there. Personally, for me as a manager, when I was managing a slightly larger team, if you've got so many that are extrinsically motivated, it can be difficult to keep them constantly there ticking over with your own job. If you're a billing manager like I was, it made life a lot easier. And I felt like the recruiters were a little bit more successful if it was more from within rather than externally someone putting that motivation there for them. I believe both is great and you need both, especially accountability. But I just personally felt that the recruiters I've seen do really well for a longer period of sustainable time rather than a high and a low. It just all seemed to come more from within and more intrinsically rather than someone there helping them along the way, if that makes sense. That makes sense. So just got two points for you on this which i think people yeah. find useful so first one is what are like practical good questions people listen to this can ask themselves that maybe you ask yourselves or check yourself on that can i guess uncover or tap into what those intrinsic motivations are out of interest yeah for me it's what my personal success looks like for myself everyone is everyone's is different and it's a question i i ask people in my teams like, why do you, <laughs> recruitment's hard. It's uh, champagne and, and razor blades <laughs> industry at times. And it's knowing why they turn up for work, I think. What it means to them to be successful, because I think it is an industry where you want to be successful. You can earn some decent money. You can progress through the ranks. You don't really need a degree or, or anything from, I suppose, life or college or school to come into this. But The questions I think I personally ask myself are, what do I want in the next five years? What's my next 10-year plan? How can my recruitment career facilitate that for me? Because it can. It's looking at what controllables I have, which are putting money on the board for a business. And in return, what do I get back from that? So that's what intrinsically motivates me, which is generally monetary. And then with that monetary, what can I invest in, in terms of my own goals, to make my personal life outside better for myself because I like freedom. I like financial freedom. That's what personally really motivates me, Hisham. But I'm different and everyone's is different. It might be someone that has a point to prove. I've seen people that have always been, I don't know, just running the mill. They've done, done different jobs in customer service or other forms of life, retail, which is very difficult, loads of hours don't really get much back from putting an eff- a good effort in. There's nothing in it for them. Mm. But then when they start putting the, the effort and time into a career such as recruitment, and then financially they see the benefits of that to them, and then they're able to buy that house that they've always wanted, they've been able to get a motorbike or go on a holiday of their dreams. It's really understanding, I think, going back to your question, what you want to do in your life and how your work and recruitment can facilitate that for you. because it is a commission-led industry. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Don't have. I don't know many. Many, if any, you'd probably be better at telling me this. That don't have a commission scheme. I don't know. <laughs> Firstly, I don't think I could do the job if there wasn't one. But yeah, I, I think that that is it. It's, it's learning how you work and how you can get the best out of yourself to show up every day. Because sometimes it is hard to show up, especially if you're not having the results in this. Yeah. Industry. Yeah. I think this is where people find, and I've struggled with this. So like, I get what you're saying there. And I think if you're listening to this and you haven't taken a step back to think about where you want to be in five years, what you want to achieve personally, not just, I want to build X, like you need to think about that. Right. But two, I think what actually will make people actually achieve that is then constantly checking in with that. So how often do you like look at or think about or yeah, like look at, right. Okay. This is where I want to be in five years or these are my goals. Like, do you look at it on a weekly basis? Do you remind yourself on a monthly basis? So I think it's easy to think about these things at the beginning of the year. Then some people don't even think about them or look at them again until the end of the year. Yeah, we all, I think, I think it is embedded in most PDPs. Uh, it should be if it's not personally, I, I, I don't know. We, we, I met a guy, it was called Pete 
And uh, he had his goals written down in a diary and he, he said to write them down every day. I, I did actually do that for three months. And I think this is where it really, really struck with me that how much they change. When I used to sit down with people going through their PDPs and their goals at the start of the year, and then, yes, they might have written some of them off there, but they were so different when we when we'd sit down in six months, in, in 12 months' time. So it's hard to do it every day. I, I personally do it every day. I don't write them down every day. I'm just trying to evaluate where I'm at in, in my own life because life changes. And I think for me, a career is, is and being successful in my career is quite important to me. I've realized okay. that very self aware. Yeah. And not everyone is like that. Like, I do my job to live, I don't live to work, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, you remind but, yourself every day. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I do the same, but that, that just really works for me. So, okay, then the final point obviously, yeah. you're, you're 30 years of age now, you've Cheers, got mate. more wisdom. <laughs> right yeah. a lot of people right. listen to this will be uh, uh younger than that right yeah. like you said recruitment obviously has a reputation of that champagne and razor blaze so when like you said you obviously can earn good money and oh, like the likelihood of you then spending that on obviously getting a table in nightclubs when they're open and just all that crap basically you said one of your major goals is financial freedom so the the one and simple question i have for you is what's been the best financial advice that you've had in your life so far invest in bricks and more Okay. That's pretty much it. I, I've I've dabbled with investments. And I've read books. I've I've been doing it for about a year and a half. It's just not me, mate. Unfortunately, my brain doesn't work that way. It's too much info. I think it's a, a job that I'd probably need to do full time. So I just personally feel like investing in bricks and mortar. You're never going to lose your money in the As last in property. Year. Property, yeah. yeah. Any form of property, mate. Okay, nice, interesting. So that okay, cool. Because I, I don't think many like young people think about that, right? And I think no. it's it's important to have think about these things sooner rather than later. I didn't know you, when I was younger. Like it's not a problem as well, but everyone will tell you. But it's it, it's down again. It's down to you. When I was twenty five, I didn't. I wasn't doing it. I wasn't interested. Early days in recruitment. Early years in recruitment. Talk to me. Yeah. How obviously, as we all know, it it can be some of the most challenging periods of our recruitment careers. So right. obviously, worked at Near People for six years. Like yeah. talk to us about the first couple of years how would you describe them i love recruitment it's uh it was awful mate my first three months i hated it (laughs) (laughs) i was basically on the line to get fired uh i had one at the time when when neil was there we had two we had two business directors owners uh i think one wanted to get rid of me straight away and i was working for them i don't know what they saw in me to be honest because i didn't see anything in me i was from hereford i was very naive not commercially astute at all Basically, everything that I told you we looked for, I didn't really have it <laughs> too much, but it was deep down, so it did come out from from recruitment. Really struggled. I started in facilities management, doing a perm desk, uh, recruiting engineers. Just we didn't click. Never spoken to them in my life. Haven't really since. And then uh, I, was, I, I got switched into this. My manager at the time and the owner were like, all right, we'll take a punt on this geezer. He's all right. He's probably not got the best fashion sense, but we'll keep him in the business. <laughs> and they put me on a desk that no one had ever done or just dabbled on. So I did put a temporary public sector property and surveying recruitment purely into local authorities, universities and NHS. So how much red tape's there? Masses. Uh, we, weren't on, we weren't on any RPOs. We weren't on any frameworks. Just me really not knowing what I was doing. And I got very successful at doing it around the back door, getting the clients to write business plans somehow and going from there. And I think it was the best thing for me. They just chucked me into it, was there for support. And um, I think I had to learn the hardest way, doing it all from the get go with no branding. No one really knew me, no one knew us. And I loved it because it was all me. I'm myself, my personality. They probably didn't know what to think being in the councils and local authorities, <laughs> but it just really worked. I had such a good role model to look up to. Just copied him. He was doing it for housing associations at the time. And we both just, we just, we just both really worked so collectively well together. Uh, and it was a lot to do with filling jobs rather than candidates to market. Okay. So a couple of things here to unpack, yeah. right, for people. So, so just for context. Yeah. So when you then got switched to that public sector desk that you obviously had to build from scratch. How long did you end up then doing that for? Uh, on that particular desk? Been about three years. Three years. And then yeah, after yeah. that, you went into leadership. This podcast is proudly partnered with Bincherry. 
the recruitment operating system. Today, I just want to tell you a bit about VinnyChat. If I ask you, what does your internal communication look like? Are you in busy WhatsApp groups? So one minute you're texting your friend or your mum and you've got work chat going on saying a candidate needs this or a client has just called in or are you using Slack maybe or maybe have you just put everything into Microsoft Teams, maybe even Google Chat. There's a good chance that it's probably in a few different places your internal communications, which is why Vincherry launched VinnyChat, one of the many great tools within this operating system. You can use VinnyChat on the desktop. You can use VinnyChat on their mobile app. And basically, it's ultimately really Slack for recruiters. So it's your internal communications on top of your CRM, which is the whole idea of Vincherry being an all-in-one platform. You could do everything from tag records, instantly share links to candidates, jobs within VinnyChat. You can create certain channels. So let's say you've got a particular team that need their own individual chat group. You can do shout outs really easily. So very easily shout about people making placements, wins that you want to shout about. They've got a Zoom integration. You can share files, start threads, loads of different things. VinnyChat, one of the many reasons why you need to be looking at Vincherry as your recruitment operating system. If you haven't checked it out already, use the link in the show notes for a no pressure demo on the product and see how this operating system can enable your recruitment business to scale and grow. Now, in the third year of that, I started growing a tiny little team all within, again, haven't had any training in leadership. <laughs> but this was the beauty of Nia. We were all going through such a growth phase and everyone didn't really know what was going on. But yeah. I think collectively we all had the same goals in mind. So we just had to ha- make those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you and went into a bit of a leadership off, uh, towards the end of that then, yeah? Yeah, I went into leadership uh, on, on the third year of my career. All right, cool. Right, so let's unpack this a bit. Cool, right. So first thing that I want to know is, so a lot of people will be struggling or have struggled. So let's just talk a bit about that very quickly. What? So you said there, what were the, like, the main one or two things that you really struggled with that le- nearly led you to obviously <laughs> being one of the many people that fail in recruitment in those first couple of months? So you said that you didn't connect with the people that you were speaking to. That's no. obviously a factor. Yeah. What else did you really struggle with? Was it like, was yeah, was you willing to pick up the phone? Was it? Dynamicness. Everything. Uh, I wasn't dynamic. I was slow. Attention to detail, the emails I was sending. It was more just lack of pace. I was just really? so, I come from a golfing environment where we just chill and we sell Mars <laughs> bars and we coach. Like all I did was coach, mate. So I come into this fast paced industry. I was like, what is going on? I've just moved to Birmingham. That's another culture shock. Recruitment's yeah. a third culture shock. I was just shocked, mate. I didn't really know what yeah, was yeah, happening. Yeah. I was just slow, commercially awful with terms. Clients would just walk up all over me. I had no control of candidates. Just didn't get it, mate, at all. Yeah. You were shit, basically. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I still build. I still did about 10 grand in my first three months. But Oh, fair. I think it was seven grand. Yeah, there was a guy. Yeah. I, what was I it? Yeah. Why? Oh, what was it? What, what was his name? Sim- You'll never forget your first um, yeah, place. Definitely not. I didn't even know if he had a passport at the time. He was a refrigeration engineer, but he did, luckily. <laughs> so, so, okay, so basically, to yeah. be fair, it seems like there's a lot of change in your life. It was adapting. Yeah. It was pace, energy, amongst other things. Okay, cool. Yeah. So then let's talk about... Obviously, then, obviously, you mentioned a couple of things, but then, obviously, then went into this temp desk. I gave yep. you a chance there, had to build it from scratch. And then this is where it seems like built this confidence, had more yeah. success. This is where you really, like, yeah, got, got improved, it. right? Yeah. So let's unpack this a bit then, because we, obviously, people listening will want to know, what did you do differently? What were the sort of aha or light bulb moments that really clicked for you? And then what I also want to know, you said that you had a really good role model. So I want to know, you said yeah, you copied him. Yeah, that most of it. That was most of it, actually. Really? That's okay, so let, why don't we start there then? What were the like top three things that you really learned and took from this person that yeah. really changed things for you out of interest? Could be on the BD side client. Can they? <laughs> I hope they're not. So there's no, there's no personal stuff in this. But yeah, when I first came in, the two people I was reporting into, bit more old school i felt it was a bit more 
not scaremongering, but I definitely was scared. I was actually nervous as hell being in the business. If I got something wrong, the impacts of if it went wrong. You know when you're on eggshells? I don't know if you've yeah, been yeah. that's not good to be in. And that's why I was making so many mistakes because, you know, when you're overthinking everything, you're just like, yeah, well, yeah. what's going on? So as soon as I moved over and I had this other leadership and this role model to look at, I just relaxed and I was mm. able to be myself, which is what you've got right now. Before, it was someone nervous, very unconfident, couldn't really do any conversationals and... I was just in an environment where they accepted mistakes and I felt okay because I was in this new industry. I feel like, especially when you're cutting your teeth at this, it is so much about the environment that mm. you feel at peace and have that a bit of leeway. Obviously you want the training embedded and you want to be able to do it correctly. But if those little mishaps happen, cause there's so much to do in recruitment, it's understanding and being empathetical and then showing you what you should be doing quickly so that's what they did they just let me do me make loads of mistakes and i'm just a type of person from the mistakes i will learn this is the difference so when you are constantly making the same mistakes that's when potentially you need to exit or you need to look at the methods of training that's been delivered because something's not clicking there they just used to say oh it's a training issue and once we went through the training i got it i'm quite intelligent that's when results started to happen and money started to just come through the door on its own I think the commitment and the effort was always there. It was just a tweak in actually what I was doing because I, I was the type of person just to, if I was shown, I'll just give it a go and do it. But I think because I had that role model and believed and I saw him doing it and and ju- he was just so suave. He was like Brad Pitt, mate. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted to be like him, mate, really. And then, uh, then, and then I started billing the same sort of amounts as him. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful budding relationship. How's that? The first thing that I want to ask you is a lot of people listening to this will make mistakes. So what was your process framework of going, taking a mistake and actually learning from it? Because I think it's easy to say that you do that, but how did you make sure you didn't keep making those mistakes? Like once you made a mistake, what was the process? Yeah. If you knew, if you knew the business, you'd understand, but if you made a mistake, it was usually a callback straight away. It was in a, in a nice way. Doing it hands-on straight away, the environment was very much like you were around your team, you were all listening, there were set hours when you are on the phone. They were very hands-on, and, and personally, that's what gets the best out of me, if you're hands-on. And I'm just me, though. You've got to remember, everyone's slightly different, and that might not work for another recruiter. And I think they just, the beauty of those guys were they understood how I worked and just did it like that for me. So like, just let him get on, give him the autonomy. When I hear him doing something incorrectly or when I've done something that that wasn't quite right, that's when they'd grab me. Mate, right, what's your process? What are you doing here? <laughs> and then be nice with me and be like, why don't have you thought about doing it this way or, or this way and just going through a different scenario. So then I was actually using my own brain and being like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But because I never thought that way of thinking, showed me the way of thinking that was probably better than what I was doing in just the way that I learned very quickly. So going back to how it probably is best, again, it's that self-awareness factor of understanding how you operate to be able to tell your manager for them to get the best out of you as well. So I didn't know that at the time, but looking back, they nailed it on that, yeah. So obviously people want to know, what were the main changes that you maybe one to three things that you changed about the way that you were doing things that had the most impact on your success out of interest on maybe on the leads. client side, maybe leads. Talk to me. Talk to us about oh, that. What leads, why leads? And traitor trackers, mate. Oh my God. Leads and what? Sorry. Traitor tracker. We called it. <laughs> Tra- traitor tracker. Traitor tracker, mate. Yeah. 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 Never heard of it. It's absolutely brilliant. If you're a temp consultant, it's basically just tracking every temp ever that's working for one of your clients, getting them on your database and on a spreadsheet. And that's literally it. I just tracked, I think I had 138 temps that were mine, that were in someone else's pocket. And my job was about getting them onto my pocket, out of theirs, and then backfilling the job that they were in. And I'd double up. So it's market share. I basically mapped out my market as best I could apart from Birmingham City Council, because that was just locks and I couldn't get in it. And there was at least probably three, 300 temps in a, yeah. in a desk there. 
So I'll just let them guys have that. But it was looking at all the other authorities, who was in there within the property department that wasn't working for me, me talking to them, understanding their rates, understanding what their motivations are. Usually they were getting ripped off from a margin. And I was at the earliest stage, I w- it would be monetary. But then as it, as it got better and better and our relationships regressed, that's when I could stretch the margins for the clients and obviously get that monetary value back. And when I was doubling up, it didn't matter if the margin was slightly less because two margins would always be equating to a bigger margin than that one person that I was pulling out. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So Trader Tracker was incredible. Hiring managers, targeting those, just you have to be there, understanding your competitors, how they work. Mine was a guy called Louis, and it was Nick and Louis Temps, Matt Masters. He still does it. He's a fantastic guy in public sector. Understanding how they operate to be able to nick some of their their, their candidates because they had so much share, some of these guys, that they couldn't manage it. And that's where I could come in. And that's why I was people, so- yeah. Out of interest and on this, for people listening to this that are temple contracts, like let's just put aside like monetary. So as in like yeah. give, getting them a better rate or whatever, like yeah. what were the main levers that you typically pulled that gave you the best chance of them deciding to go with you rather than Louis, who they've worked with for well, the last yeah. year and a half out of um, interest? A lot of, it for the, a lot of it for a contract temp worker was either longevity of the contract. That was always okay. brilliant. But in a council, they'd start three months and it would last like a couple of years. <laughs> and it was a brilliant desk because once you got them in there, you just had to look after them. A lot of the time, what I did was speak to the clients, understand the charge rate, and then I'd get the candidate and understand their pay rate. And I would be talking to the client, telling them what they were paying the candidate, and it would be sometimes a very solid margin. And then I would tell the candidate what they were actually charging the client. So sometimes I was squeezing their margins, and they weren't even moving, and it would disrupt my competition. (laughs) I know. I just know they would have known that. But I think it was more the fact of utilizing the intel and building really good relationships with these people that weren't even my workers. And I was speaking to them more than their own consultant. So I feel it was an element of trust. And I was giving this information that they weren't privy to. And right. then that built that relationship before I had even that had them on the books. And I told them the margins that I would be operating at. And I told them the industry average and what they previously had. So it was still really strong. I was just completely transparent. So I think it was having that transparency factor and that's probably where I stood out with the candidates in that market. And then was you transparent with what you were charging when you got them on? Pretty much, which I think is can be positive and negative. But I told them after a certain period of service, I'd, I'd increase it. So some of the time, if they've been there a year, they'll get an increase and that'll come out my margin. And I was quite upfront about that. Sometimes I'll get it back off the client, but I it was one of those, it depended on my relationship, but I was very much, I like to get out there, meet them, get them a piece of cake. Like that did, that wasn't happening with a lot of them. And it was a lot about being out there and actually present with these with these temps to build mm. the relationship. And then they would give me the leads. They would call me and say, look, Thingamajig's got this. Could you get me in there instead? Or Thingamajig's come to me with this. Do you want, do you want it? And because I put invested time into them, they were giving me quality intel. And that's what I told them I needed. And I'll look after them if they could look after me back. So it's a bit of a, like a relationship in life, just a two-way street. Yeah. I bet your competitors, I'd love to hear the conversations about you <laughs> in other rooms. I bet they fucking hated mate. you, mate. Oh, no, it's all right. I'm a nice guy. I, hope. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what's important about that is like, like you then didn't do what they did, if you get what I mean, when you then were working with these people. I no, think that's, that's you have to do everything. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you, I think that's the most important thing I take from that is like people listen to this would be like, Matt's a bit of a rat for doing that, right? Or whatever. But, and then it's like, <laughs> I'm not I'm just no, yeah, that's what I mean. No one was doing that. So why did he have to do that? Blah, blah, blah. But and then you've then been transparent. You've given them information that typically people wouldn't give them. You've then actually gone, hey, look, this is where it is. And look, if we do work together, this is what I'm going to be charging. And like, you just kept it transparent and honest throughout. And that's obviously scalable because you're being yourself. You're being transparent, being honest. Yeah, when you're honest. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I think that's the most important thing is then you weren't doing that and then like then trying to do the same thing that your competitors were and not telling them or charging as much as they were. Do you know what I mean? It was basically Um, they told me they wanted and I gave it them. And that's why I think the element of trust was there with me. And why they wanted to, I suppose, continue that relationship via ours uh, compared to mm. someone else's. 
Yeah, yeah. What I'm really keen to go into, three main things, is one, day plan, time management structure is what I want to sort of uncover with you. Like what that looked like, how good are you with that? But as we're talking about candidates, let's just sort of zoom in on this for a second and you can use like right now. Every single recruit I'm speaking to at the moment is saying how candidate sure it is or like that's their number one challenge, right? So what I want to know from you is like what has been over the last 12, 18 months, what has been like the most trusted and most successful way that you've consistently been able to build relationships, get candidates on your side or in your network that you've been able to support, place, or whatever. What's been your most best way of achieving that? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. Today, I want to tell you about another Sourcebreaker story. I think it's the best way to showcase how brilliant this tool is. So let me tell you about another Sourcebreaker story. I picked up a role for a conveyancing assistant after finding out there was a surge of requirements for these amongst firms as the end of stamp duty holiday was nearing. A client newly converted thanks to a Sourcebreaker lead search. For those of you that don't know, Sourcebreaker can not only help you uncover candidates, but also help you win business and uncover leads. This new client needed a conveyancing assistant to start urgently. I set up a Sourcebot and followed by a search. For those that don't know, a source bot is ultimately something that you can set up in the Sourcebreaker platform where whilst you're sleeping, whilst you're doing more BD, whilst you're going out meeting candidates face-to-face now, this source bot can uncover new candidates that fit the requirements that you know your clients need. Amazing. The first candidate I found via my Sourcebreaker search was perfect for the role CV-wise and was one of the first people that I got in touch with, saving them time. Around two weeks later, the candidate had been interviewed and offered the role. So thank you to Sourcebreaker for allowing me to find not only leads, but also the perfect candidates to match. If you have not checked out this amazing platform yet, go and check it out. You can get a no obligation demo to check out the platform. You're going to save money on the platform because you listen to this podcast and it's just an absolute no brainer. Use the link in the show notes, check it out. You will not regret it. The market I currently operate isn't really candidate led. So this would probably be going back to to when I was doing more of a candidate to market approach, doing technical stuff. But what I found, especially with some of the consultancies was, was just calling candidates at work and having a very strong pitch about why I was contacting them at work with clients that I wasn't currently working with. And um, a lot of the reasons why I would have done that would have been a recommendation from someone that they would have known that I'd either spoken to prior or known about and asked them, because a great question in recruitment is, can you tell me the best quantity surveyor at the time that you've worked with in a department prior. And if you get that, yeah, if you get that intel, it's a call. Right, I'm calling you because I've just been speaking to a couple of QSs. I'm not going to name names, but they've they've recommended that you are the best in your department. And I want to be I want to be associated with the best talent with my clients. So I feel like we need to have a conversation. Like where are you at? You might not even be looking. You're probably not. You've probably been one of the best paid people if you are that good. So it would be very soft and it's building up the relationships with those candidates you want to be representing that are going to show your clients you're good as well. So for me, I just used to like to go straight in deep and LinkedIn was a great tool for me because all of the consultancy QSs and PMs and building surveyors are all available online or on the company websites. And yeah, you might get a name for yourself, but when you've been in the offices there, try to win the business and you don't get it, you know the office environment so you can talk to the candidates about what they're probably this is prior covid so i used to say yeah. i know you're in the office this is really awkward but blah 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 the aim was to get their mobile a lot of the time these people are very commercially smart anyway so want to know what's going on in the market it's surprising how much they want to know if they're getting paid correctly and at the same time i did help a lot of those candidates that were recommended get a pay rise internally 
because of the intel that you'd be giving them. And that is a lot of power. And then if you've helped someone get five, six grand on their salary or 10 grand in some occasions, because they had been there that long, they're going to help me back. And that might be with a referral or someone else or getting me into actually working with that client. So for me, it, it was, I'm still, I don't know if that's called old school, but <laughs> I just like to to call them. And I felt very confident in situations where it was awkward doing that. I'm, okay, I, no. I'm yeah. to make it not awkward. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I think if you're listening to this and you one of your questions that you don't ask your people is who is the best ex person you've ever worked with, you need to be asking that every single day because you can then build instead of a traitor tracker, you've got the best people tracker or whatever you want to call it, right? That you're just building yeah. out all these names, best people. And what a great I love I actually love that opener of like hey like it's just an ego stroke isn't it it's like hey i am calling you because people have told me you are the best at what you do yeah like it's all of a sudden it's like oh wow okay yeah this guy's made me feel good i better give him a moment or two to see why he's calling me and if you're recommended you want to know who recommended it and all all my aim is to get their mobile number so i can get them on my database so i can then talk to them and then i can interact with them i can send them content it's going to be relevant to what they want and if you go in with, look, someone's recommended that I contact you regarding X position, I know you're at work. Have you got a mobile number for me to contact you back on later on at a better time? They Nine times out of 10, they'll give you that mobile number and they appreciate the ego stroke as well. So yeah, yeah. for me, I was, that was just the best way to build. Yeah. High what about then? And then just, again, think obviously COVID vibes, last yeah. 10 months in. So you said in the market you're in now, which was construction engineering uh, yeah. yeah what have been sort of some good trusted methods for you in the last 10 months again this is more for the technical part of our division that is really high candidate to market led i believe it's it's good quality newsletters like sent out on a regular basis that they can actually integrate with it's it's current topics so it might have been remote at the time it might have been how's your current employer looking after you you've got to remember that a lot of people about a year ago, were just really appreciative of being in a job and they might have actually moved and had a really poor salary. So there is opportunities to, a lot of it now is how are you being looked after and finding out from the candidates about a company and then understanding that company and then comparing it to other companies and showing them what they might be missing out on because we have a lot of technical roles it can be working from home and some of these old schooler companies are missing out and we've managed to pull a lot of candidates out knowing how they've been treated during the last year. I don't know if you found that prior, but again, it goes back to the candidates to be able to give you that intel, but then you have to have something to give them first to compare it against. So it's knowing their competitors getting some information about them that might be positive, that might make them think that they want to move. So personally, I know when some of the guys were doing this, they knew how their their staff was getting looked after, which was really poorly, really old school, and there was murmurs. And we used one of our clients that we know was really looking after its staff technically, its technical staff, and what they were doing to look after them. So all you do is call these people that are currently not being very well looked after and telling them about how, another client is currently operating with exactly the same staff and they just wanted to go. You would, wouldn't you? Mm, so okay. again, that's interesting. Yeah. That's just, I think that that is the product, isn't it? A product's either a really good job, really good company, or it's a really good candidate that you can then take to market. So we were looking at it yeah, that yeah. way. Cool. So next thing that I want to speak to you about now that that is, that, that makes sense. So again, I feel what I really like about this is like, you've really got good at doubling down on Intel. And I think sometimes recruiters miss this is like, sometimes they feel really good when they've got good candidates, but actually there's a lot of other things that you have as an asset information that you can actually use to leverage. You can leverage to build relationships, get that open, that opportunity to get what I mean. So that's why I like when you keep talking, because these are all things that you can control rather than, uh, or that you have you should have rather than like just always it's having to rely on like the candidates. Yeah. It's your job. Yeah, you get what I mean? So, yeah. And you, yeah, so yeah, there's a couple of things that I do want to still ask you around that. I think, cause I know when we, before we started, you were saying around the video piece that you use that a lot. So I, I just want to ask like, your like top tips in that. But the ne- next thing then business yeah. development, 
Right. Maybe let's let's keep this practical because I think some people may listen to this and go, yeah, that that probably doesn't work. It wouldn't have worked if obviously through COVID, blah, blah, blah. So like when you joined the business that you joined 10 months ago, like in the last 10 months, have you had to do BD? Or like was there like an existing basis for you to go out? Was you building things? Have you had to do much more business? So much more inbound. Uh, I've not personally been a part of before or used to. Not yeah, because I I I was prior in the business, it was a lot more new business, BD heavy. So that's probably one of my strengths. With Neo and when we were setting out the permanent section, it was all new business. No, they hadn't worked with us before. So coming into somewhere where there's existing work and it coming inbound and it's more about maximizing what you've got initially was so different. And again, it goes back to good basics of BD. It's making sure that you've got all the right decision makers on that client, that you are maximizing it and not losing your share. So I think that's what I've been trying to do. I haven't had to do that much BD because the job flow has okay. been, it's been so all right, high. So let's talk about that then. And then maybe I can just get your like best piece of advice for people to get better at BD who are doing more outbound, right? Because I think this is the whole thing, right? What you're talking about, and maybe you're still learning this, but obviously some people call it one night stand, spot business, but like obviously ideally we want to be doing repeat business, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's what you're used to, exactly. So what you've had to get better, I'm assuming, is yeah, mapping out businesses, understanding the key stakeholders, understanding yeah, who are the decision makers, who can refer you, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. like, what's your advice for people who have got a good client, they've done sort of repeat business, they might have exclusive terms with or whatever, and there's an opportunity there to take that client from a good client to a great client. Like, how have you gone about doing that then? What have been some of your... It's asking, for, I think not, not, not enough agents actually test where their relationship's at and tell how do you, them... How, how do you test it then? You've got to say, look, what, what, what do I need to do to be a recruitment partner of choice? How can I get rid of my competition if it's contingent or Mm. like the way we work now, we do very modern methods of recruitment and a lot of it is, it is retained or it is exclusive. And that's why our business has gone. We've hit company records the last two quarters running. So, and the reason for that is that we've got better at doing our more modern methods of, of recruitment and the clients liked it. They weren't used to it at the start, which is video tech, but now they want it. So I think it's, Coming back to your question, it's, 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 it's very difficult. It's a very good question. And it's more about around, you want from me, sorry, just to get this right, more around how you connect with a client that you've already got to maximize it. Yeah, yeah. so you, you're saying you've been working with a lot of inbound, so it's more about how can I get better? So, for example, one of the clients that might come inbound, they yeah. might typically give you, or in the last 10 months, they might have given you 10 roles to work on, right? Yeah. But you know, because of your intel, that actually this client could be as a business it may not just be in your team it could be given us 30 roles because you know they've got that yeah, team yeah. that team and i'm assuming that's what you're thinking about how can we get this client that's spending 150 grand of us a year to 300 grand if you see the opportunity there so it's like how have you gone about that is it getting referrals within people no, it's, what? it's using internal relationships they're so key and you need to you need to if you're nailing one person or one client and you're supplying them staff and yeah, delivering yeah delivering yeah you you have to actually have the balls i hope <laughs> that's not making yeah. sexy but you have to have the confidence that's the better word to be able to go to the client and get them to recommend you if you ask this to recruiters how many times have you got one of your clients to send an email to other people in their organization recommending you and cc'ing you in it works. I used to do that with consultancies and it would be ideally one of the more senior directors. If you are using a middle manager, you need to make that jump up to a decision maker and get the decision maker to either give you a testimonial and send that to a manager internally. So it's just working what you've got. If it's working well and getting it in writing and utilizing the client to say, look, we, we love working with you. The candidates love it. We've got testimonials. We know that when we put them in there, they enjoy it. We, we really understand your business. We want to try and repeat this. Like We want to repeat what we're doing, but with other people in your business. How do we do that? And they'll help you if you are delivering a good service. So you need to be confident in, in that delivery piece. And they're going to tell you. And if they don't want to do that, 
that's a great learn because obviously you're not doing something currently well enough. That's, and the, yeah, it's wrong to so that, put that into something. Yeah, and I would say, like, okay, that's fair enough. And then you learn and then you have these honest conversations that actually then strengthens your relationship. Because until you yeah. ask, you'll never find out. But I think it's having the confidence in what you're delivering to just have a straight-up conversation and tell them what you're looking to do or how they can help you because you've helped them. And again, it comes yeah, back yeah. to that. It comes back to that relationship. And okay, you can only cool. do that on video or face-to-face. I feel it's very difficult to do that over the phone. Fa- yeah, yeah, fair enough. So thanks for sharing that. I think what – so people listening, I'd really underline – I absolutely love that question. I wish I asked that question more of like – asking that direct question of like, Mr. and Mrs. Klein, what more do I need to do to be the preferred – recruiter of choice or whatever what a great question that is like how many of your competitors are asking that question but actually being willing to find out where you need to improve what we need to be doing i think that's such a great question um, again it comes back to the the start when you want to constantly learn i just want to keep getting better for people so if you yeah, yeah. do that for clients they'll appreciate it yeah yeah, love that. So what yeah. I want to talk about, I want to make sure that we box off day plans because everyone right now is, keeps telling me how busy they are. But I want to know how Matt's got good at making sure you're busy with the right things rather than just being busy for busy sake, right? So I want to find out day plan structures, how you got good at that. But before I do, yeah, video yeah. tech, right? Would you mind just sharing us a bit of that? So it seems like that's been really influential for getting exclusive business retained. So I guess what I just want to find out is basically, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of an overview of like, okay, we use video tech, but what does that actually mean? Does that mean that throughout the interview process, it's money done over video or whatever? And so I just want to, if you could give us that overview, and then I just want to ask you one or two questions about that that could be beneficial for people. So how, yeah. how has it been used? So we, the way we use our AR view, which is currently a software for ourselves, we have a, a small fee initially up front, which is basically commitment from the client. I'm not going to. I'm not just going to disclose what the fee is, but it's it's not yeah, yeah, too much. Generous. And that basically will enable us to have four weeks on this job. If we can't provide a shortlist that's up to their standard, which is the client's decision, we'll give that feedback, and that's a no quibble. So there's a commitment piece there from the get go that they're not actually getting too invested. But all we want is they've put the money down. They're going to take more time to actually go through the job with us, and we feel more confident because they are, it is actually a job because there is a lot of jobs out there at the minute. So it's yeah. it's deeming the ones that are actually going to be a return on our time. And then from there, it's, it's a portal system so the client can log in whenever they want. And um, the way I personally do it, I try and get them involved in this as a first stage interview. So it shortens the recruitment process. So I say, look, I'm, you can utilize me as ever you want. If you don't know how to utilize me, this is what I suggest. But I'll have four or five questions which are quite key for that position. I'll go through it with the candidate. I tell the candidate, obviously, this is like a movie trailer. So you want the you want the client to buy a ticket to come and see your movie. So it's not usually the best what you're saying. It's about how you present yourself, how prepared you are. Mm. The better you can get them prepared, and it can be anything from how they look on camera, setup, you name it. <laughs> you have to go through it with these people if they've never done it before. But if you can get them present in such a nice way that actually shows they're beneficial and tell them like the, the benefits to them as a candidate, you already know if their CVs just going across compared to them meeting me, you've got more commitment from the candidate. You can get more leads out of them. They're face to face. Your relationship's built as well. There's so many benefits of using it. Same with the client because I like to get them on the platform and utilizing it so they can understand what we're actually doing and how it can benefit them, saving them time where the candidate isn't coming all the way over and they have to sit there for half an hour or an hour rather than a brief five, seven-minute clip where they can instantly know if they're hearing the right signs or not. And again, it goes back to that old-school halo and horns. If the client's still there seven minutes down the line, they like them. And you know that as a recruiter. And it's already alleviated a bit of speed because they don't have to go through that. Do we actually like them? Right, so we move directly straight to the second interview. And... Because of the market at the minute, this is cracking because you know how quickly candidates are going in multiple offers. We sort of prep the clients. Look, if you want them and you like them, you need to get them now. And mm. uh, it's a lot. The candidate's more invested because of what they've had to do. They've had to do more prep compared to all the others potentially. So they, they're invested in this job as well. So it just helps. It helps you as the recruiter get to the end goal. Which is you use it just for the first stage? And then it's yeah, just for the first stage. 
and then directly sometimes they'll do a teams and go to offer or they might even just go straight to face to face and it's usually a one stage rather than okay so bang thanks for sharing that so you've shared obviously some of the positives so what i want to ask you then a direct question because i'm sure people will be thinking this but where people can get value is like like you said so when you first doing this with clients they hadn't really done it before would have been (laughs) resistance i'm sure you have candidates that go fuck off Matt. i'm not doing a video i hate video like i'm not up for that do you know what i mean so like talk to me about like resistance how did you get through the resistance the resistance of like matt i'm not doing video do one like what how did you get through that (laughs) more with clients or with candidates or both both just tell because i'm sure you got it on both Um, sides but like how did you work through the resistance i think with the clients it was more monetary so if they utilized initially when we did this it was in lockdown covid Things are a little bit tense. So we actually put a scheme yeah. on. If we went through this modern methods of recruitment, we work in a modern methods of construction industry. So they should be bought in because we had that equilibrium there. So we actually gave them a further discount of that fee that they initially gave us back at the end. So it was for a certain period of time to get them on board utilizing it because we know once they utilized it, they'd like it. It was yeah. actually the cheaper option compared to okay. contingent, compared to exclusive. So that was the way we utilized it to get the clients on board mainly. And it worked because MDs with COVID, a lot of the time it was all commercials and you can't, you yeah, can't. So it's um, time and money. Is what the yeah, it was time and money. For the candidates that were a little bit nervous, because I do sales and marketing for me, I didn't really have much of a uh, an objectual handling. So I can't help okay. people on here that much because I said like in sales, you need to be client facing. You have to be. So you need to, it's a good opportunity for you to get more prepared for the modern methods of the world. We don't know when COVID's happening. So just use it as a training course. And I would do a pre, sometimes a pre-screen with them for 10 minutes just to get them like train them on actually how to do a video because uh, it was, some of them, mate, was so poorly done. Yeah, yeah. And if I sent it across, it just would have probably been less than just sending a CV. I'd have more chance of getting them in that way. So I think, I think it's just, it's just, being honest with the this is the way we work with this client you have to do this and then if they said no you'd ask them why and some of the times it was because they already had a second stage interview or they already had an offer or they already had something else will come out of the woodwork as to why they don't want to do it if it was a confidence issue generally would you really as a recruiter want to waste your time utilizing one of those people because when it comes to interview they've got to do it anyway so it didn't that's just my industry and my desk, so I can't really add to it. Yeah, that's, uh, fair. that's fair. I think with the technical guys, it is a lot different, but how much value does it really add for someone that's IT or I don't know. That's 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 out of my remit. Yeah, fair enough. No, thanks yeah. for sharing. I think there's a we won't talk about it now, but I think it's just interesting that because I, I, I do think there's a real thing, a real point in there around like interview bias when you're down that route. Do you know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I do you know and that's a huge thing so like all of a sudden like i can receive videos i'm going to see what they look like who they are what they're about and like that can even then in like encourage even more bias yes, do you know what i mean and if you, yeah i've done yeah, a lot of stuff that's what i mean so i don't know i understand how that can really help but i don't know i think i don't know if that's like going to be the long-term solution forever just because i think that's if you are one if you are really focused on building diverse teams that represent the world today that we live in and stuff I think mm. seeing human beings on a screen, you're going to make even more judgments and assumptions. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just how it is. So I don't know. I think it's interesting, but it makes sense. So, okay, cool. Let's wrap this up then with a really popular area that everyone wants me to always ask people about is like everyone's saying they're busy. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you're assuming you're quite busy at the moment. If you're yeah, having, busy, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about, talk to me about day plans, mate. So as I said, like what does a typical day for Matt look like that you need to know makes what your you feel yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So for me, I like to do it. So I, I've got coming to the office. I've got a little board, right? So what is important and urgent today that has to be done? No negotiables. Like they're yeah. doing. I'll do them first because you're yeah. personally. I'm up for it in the morning. I need to get it done. I know it's done. If I can't do it, I've tried. I'll come back to it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Basically, that's how I prioritize stuff that has to be done in the day. Second of all, I'll look at. Right, what sort of tasks have I got that are important but not necessarily as urgent? How long have I been putting these off for? 
if it's longer than two weeks, that's when I need to like actually say, are they on the right list here? Because if I if they've been going on longer than a week or two, you should be doing something towards them or you need to like look back at what you're actually doing. That's just me personally. And then thirdly, what's all that stuff that doesn't really matter, but you know, probably you should get round to at the end of the day, if you can do it. That's just how I begin the day. When I come into the actual office, then I'll look at my job flow, what's coming overnight, where's my desk at? Like you have to analyze your desk every day. So prior to coming into the day, I've actually got my day plan done. I don't like to come in and be reactive. I like to know that I've shut off for the day. I don't have to do all that stuff when drinking a tea. It's just there. Mm. So I just get on with it personally, mate. What what does your day plan look like then? So it's laid out with those boxes. uh, All of that. I've got uh, an emails that have to be sent, tasks, callbacks, voicemails. I just go through and I highlight the ones that I have to do. I've got CVs that have been sent out or video interviews that have been sent out that I need to chase. So that's always there. Which leads are hot. I've got a hot leads board. Like if they haven't moved in three days, they're not hot lead anymore. Like what mm. have you done around those leads that are actually going to re- – hot leads, I don't really need to go into that, but that's just where mm. my business development's at, which – I've got a little booklet next to me here with managers' names in and the companies to add into the database. That's at the end of the day. I need to add at least two a day just to make sure you're constantly – because your database is key, isn't it? It's king. You need to Mm. make sure that's all up to date. And then I just have – so between uh, like 9 o'clock and then half 9, I usually got my team meeting there. So after that, that's when I have core activity until 12. I like to switch off and do my admin for two hours and then I'll come back in and do core activity. What, what's, again. The, what's core activity? The stuff core that's acti- on that important and urgent. Yeah. So no core activity is when I'm on the phone. Generally, I like to be on the phone between um, sort of half nine, half 11 and then two until four. So that just keeps my desk from doing this. Yeah, yeah. Going. You're doing like um, just, just candidate time and client time every single day. Depends. You, have to, you can't, you can't say that you need to do BD constant. I've, always had that built into me because you never know where your client's going to go if they're going to go rpo we've, we've had this recently yeah, yeah. two big clients have just gone rpo so you need to constantly be freshing out what stripping candidate cvs keeping your database up to date because there might be business and revenue of smes that are going to be growing in these markets so you need to keep an eye on that on doing that constantly it's all constant but it's i think it's it's learning that experience that if you don't feel busy and you're at work and you're like, right, I need to just tick off calls here. I, I personally don't believe in that. There has to be like a reason behind things. Yeah, like intentional, yeah. Not just, yeah. I'm not into this KPI numbering, mate. I like tasks. Like what's my task now? I need some jobs, right? How do I get jobs? Where's it go from? So it's all outcome. And then I go backwards and what tasks I'm yeah. going to do and alterating tack on what that might look like. If that I love that. Oh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I think I think key thing to sort of highlight there from the conversation I've been having is yeah. I think it's really easy for people right now because they've got jobs coming out there is to not do that constant BD piece, as you said. But I think, trust me, I'm, and everyone's learned it the hard way, right, where your best customer, yeah, flipped into an RPO or whatever, and it's like, fuck, I've done BD for three months. So now, like... You don't okay, want to be like, rusty at BD, like... Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. You get in a groove of yeah. it as well, don't you? You get in, you get confident, You're yeah, so... And also, like, you're definitely going to be more confident doing BD if you know that, like, you've got jobs. Like, you know, like, worst-case scenario, I'm, I'm flying. Like, if you don't give me... If we don't do business, sign terms, that's cool. I've got all these other clients, but... So, so definitely highlight that, and then I absolutely love that grid. Absolutely love that. I think that's really practical for people. So, like, if you've got loads of ties, you've got a to-do list, great, but... Go a step further, like what is urgent and has to be done? What is urgent and isn't as urgent? What isn't urgent and you don't need to do or whatever, like, yeah, non-negotiables, yeah. yeah. So I think that's great. So final question. <laughs> what? Final question you for really you. Right? Do you reckon yeah, yeah, final... or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. Final question, mate, is love asking this. Like if you could change the industry, what would you improve? I think personally, it's just recruiters getting on with it, everyone. I still feel like there's a bit of a stigma in sharing intel and sharing like knowledge. There's enough market share to go around. I just That's think... The whole, whole point of this, you're completely Yeah, right. uh, mate, I, I just... I don't I don't feel like a... It's getting better, actually, I think, in the last mm. few years, 100 million percent. But we're all humans. We're all here on this planet. There's always enough to go around. 
I don't know if this is a personal thing for me. I just think help help everyone out. This job's very difficult. It'd be nice to, I think we all lack that intel from other businesses. Me personally knowing that, uh, I don't know if you do when you were a recruiter, you've got a gist on how others operate, but I think we've got all got very similar problems. Everyone's got very similar ways and different ways of looking at it. But collectively, I just feel like we could get a bit more. We could be stronger as an industry if we, we just chilled a bit and, and helped each other out. So we all get better. Well, that's, that's absolutely the mission that we're on with Recruitment Mentors. So I, I couldn't agree more. Matt, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you Thanks, so man. much. Yeah, no problem. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform that will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast i hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the recruitment mentors podcast